This is Gridiron Graduates, a weekly podcast covering all things football. Episode number 52. Wait, sports happened this week? Recorded November 9th, 2016. Hey, what's going on, everybody out there? Bill Resetting, hit you guys back up on another edition of GG, the post election edition. Hope everyone uh, is somewhat recovered from all the happenings. Uh, Obviously not going to get too much into it, but certainly a very eventful night. And I'll just say congratulations to Mr. Donald Trump on becoming president. Uh, Just going to say I'm very stunned by that. And that's all I'm going to (laughs) say. I'm not going to make this a big political issue, but... As always, my co-partner, you know, more than uh, my vice president, kind of considered my co-president more than the vice president, Mr. Ian Wharton. What's going on, bro? Uh, not too much, man. Not too much. Just um, almost hitting that holiday season, which means that uh, sports are, are definitely it's a good time of year. Obviously, we, we talk a lot of NFL, college football here, but NBA also kind of kicking things off. It's a fun season for them. Um Baseball wrapped up. Obviously, the Cubs got that that championship. Congrats to their fans. Um, it was obviously a very exciting win for them, and uh, happy for them. And so, you know, it's it's a good time of year for that hockey fans, obviously as well. Can't forget about you guys. Um, I really like hockey too, but obviously, I I will admit I'm I'm not as into it as I wish I could. Obviously, it's it's hard to be a a fan and analyst of two different sports and, and be able to keep track of all the different sports. It's actually pretty much impossible. So, um, but you know, I do, I got a lot of love for hockey as well. I love going to those games. So I'm, I'm doing really well, man. It's a great year, uh, great, you know, end to the year here, um, in terms of sports. And so, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to finishing strong here and, and, uh, you know, hopefully, hopefully things continue to be, uh, pretty entertaining for us. Absolutely. Uh, and I'll give a shout out to college basketball as well. Uh, that season starts Friday night, so I'm excited for that. Oh wow! I'm always taken aback by how quickly that season seems to start up. I don't know why. It just seems like it, it always sneaks up on me. It, it really does. I, I think because you know with the college, you know football and all that, take kind of taking center stage, and with the NBA, it seems like. Seems like it quietly approaches, but yeah, opening night in college basketball is Friday night. I know for one, North Carolina is at Tulane. Uh, I know Villanova's in action. I think Duke's in action. You got even got a couple top twenty-five games earlier on Friday night. So, uh, you know, definitely a fun time. And the college hoops, of course, means the NCAA tournament and filling out brackets, and that's always a fun thing for me. So I'm looking forward to that. But. Um, yeah, so let's jump into it. We're actually going to go ahead. You know, Ian brought up this idea before we went on the air, and I like it. You know, obviously a lot of other people are doing it, so we might as well dip our toes in it as well. Uh, hand out some mid-season awards here in the NFL, and maybe some college awards as well, even though we're obviously more than halfway done in that sense. But man. It's, it's hard to believe we're going into week 10 already in the NFL season. I mean, we're, we're more than halfway done now. A lot, a lot of teams are either halfway or more than halfway done with their season. So, um, 
you know, just crazy how it's been flying by. So, yeah, we'll go ahead and hand out some awards. Might as well start right at the top, go with MVP. Um, you know, so what do you think, bud? Who would you say right now is your midseason MVP? Yeah, so right now, it, it's, man, this is really hard. I think you start with, like, the obvious names. Um, there's a strong argument, I think, for, for Tom Brady. Um, what he has done, even with missing the first four games of the season, uh, he's just on pace for banana numbers. And that team, honestly, if they wouldn't have lost with Jacoby Brissett, that team may have an undefeated season. Like, that might have been, we might have had 0-16 and 16-0 and 0 in the same season. Um, because of that, 0-16, obviously, with the Browns. But um, So, you know, he's got a really good argument. He's obviously always in that race. The argument against him, obviously, is that they went 3-1 and with Jimmy Garoppolo. And so that's kind of difficult. Well, I should say 3-1 and with the combination of Jimmy Garoppolo and, and Jacoby Brissett. Um, so that's kind of a... I admit, I do think that takes away from Tom Brady a little bit. I, I think it's naive to, to say that it doesn't. Now, obviously, they're not Tom Brady. But your argument would be that they could win similar amount of games probably with Jim, like Jimmy Garoppolo type. So, and I think that there's something to that. But, you know, he's still been stellar. And you can't take that away from him. Another guy I would also consider um, is Ezekiel Elliott. I actually think that uh, that he would be a fantastic MVP choice. You look at what the Dallas Cowboys are doing, the best NFC team there is right now. And why is that? Well, yeah, great offensive line. They've been fantastic. Given Dak Prescott a heck of a start to his rookie campaign as well. Um, but Ezekiel Elliott is a special talent, and he'd be doing great things even with a worse offensive line. Not with a horrible one, because running backs do need a decent, a good offensive line to produce. But, you know, what he's been accomplished, what he's accomplished so far, I mean, this guy has 177 carries, 891 yards, a 5.0 carry, uh, yards per carry average, seven touchdowns already. You look at his receiving numbers. He doesn't have a ton of receiving numbers. He's got about 100 and, and change on the year. So he doesn't have a ton as far as that, but, um, about 155 officially. So still very impressive. I, I think he's been fantastic. Um, and to me, those two are the ones that stand out the most right now, because generally speaking too, it's going to go to usually like the best player on the best team, best playmaker. I should say offensive playmaker on the best team. So we have to keep that in mind too and, and just kind of keep that realistic. Um, a couple of years back, J.J. Watt had a good argument, but obviously he didn't win it. So, you know, keeping it within the realm of, of realism, um, I think those two, you know, had my list. Um, I think Matt Ryan also deserves a lot of consideration. He's been great this year. He's been great. And this is a guy I've been very critical of the last 18 months to two years. I thought... Even before he started to show some physical wear and regression, uh, I thought he was kind of peaked and topped out. This is a guy that he has historically needed an elite surrounding cast to play good. Um, when his surrounding cast dipped, he played really poorly. But it wasn't just that, too. Physically, he didn't look the same. Matt Ryan, 
it looked like at times he was suffering from a little bit of dead arm, uh, where he just couldn't physically get the ball past 15 yards, 10 to 15 yards. And some people put it on Kyle Shanahan, some people put it on the system or the weapons. Honestly, I just think he played poorly. And I don't know why, but physically he didn't look the same. Maybe he was hurt. Maybe it was mental. I, don't, I have no clue, but all I know is that the Matt Ryan we're seeing this year is a different Matt Ryan. This is who he was in large part when he had Roddy White and Julio Jones and Tony Gonzalez and Steven Jackson. Um, you know, he had a lot of weapons, and, and now the weapons around him are very good, as, again, starting with that offensive line and Kyle Shanahan, who I think has I've been singing his praises for years. He's a phenomenal offensive coordinator. System hasn't changed. It's just Mount Ryan's playing better, and then Alex uh, Mack at center. And so, you know, considering that, I still do think though Mount Ryan has been fantastic, and I think he deserves a lot of MVP hype as well. But I'm going to give it to Brady right now at this point in the season. But I would probably say Matt Ryan is my number two. Um, if he can continue this pace, he definitely has a good argument for maybe even number one. Yeah, that, I was even going to bring up Julio Jones, you know, so I like that you brought up Matt Ryan, absolutely, you know, the, I mean, for sure, at least, I, I think you would consider him comeback player of the year, at least, or in the running for that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he's he's already almost at 3,000 yards, already, he's got about 300 yards more than Drew Brees at this point, who's number two, um, and, you know, certainly, you know, Brees... You could, some people are obviously going to make a case for him, even though the Saints, well, they're four and four. But, uh, but yeah, you know, Matt Ryan and Julio Jones, I think those two definitely have to be considered as well. You know, obviously, the two, two of the biggest reasons why this team has completely turned around from where they were the last couple of years, sitting atop the South. But, uh, you yeah, know, I, I think I'm going to agree with you. Just the way Tom Brady has been playing, ever since he came off that four-game suspension. You know, helping get the Patriots to seven-one. I mean, yeah, you're right. The knock is that they did win three games with Jimmy Garoppolo, but it just seems like they're just that much better, or they've been that much better ever since Tom Brady came back. Um, you know, so so I'm gonna have to agree with you. I, th- I think Brady probably the favorite because, like you said, it tends to go to the best player and typically a quarterback on one of the best teams. And right now. Uh, you know Tom Brady on a seven and one team. You know, uh, it, it makes me wonder though how much, how much, um, how much love are the voters maybe going to give to Dak Prescott at this point too? You know, yeah. with how well he's been playing too, and again the fact that he's a quarterback on a seven and one team. Um, you know, you mentioned Zeke Elliott, so yeah, you know, I. I, I I think you know it, it's a long. It'd be a long shot right now. He's a bit of a dark horse, but you know you got to you got to show Dak a little bit of love too for how he's played and you know kind of holding that team together in the absence of Tony Romo. Yeah, definitely, and you know he's done a great job. And I, I do think though, and I mentioned this a couple weeks ago when we talked about it, I do think Tony Romo should. Get the reins back to his team when he when he's fully healthy. If he if he even is fully healthy this year, um, 
Dak's been great, but I do think that he's a little bit more of a product of the system around him. Um, not trying to take anything away from his performance, he's been very good, but um, Elliot to me is the star of that team, and to me he is the, the backbone of it, uh, along with the offensive line. And it makes a young quarterback's job, so any quarterback, but especially a young quarterback's job, so much easier when he can you know, hand it off to a top three running back in the NFL. Absolutely. And... So, you know, just kind of considering that, they they may cannibalize themselves, too, as far as the MVP and Offensive Rookie of the Year for the NFC. So that's going to be a really fascinating thing to watch, uh, just how well those two uh, can continue playing. But also, uh, when it comes down to voting for individual awards, do they kind of hurt each other in the sense that, you know, who, who are you going to vote for? Because, again, the quarterback position gets so much more press. Um, it's definitely a position that gets talked about more, and so yeah, that's going to come into the into play eventually. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and I kind of tease, you know, might as well talk comeback player of the year because I kind of brought that up with Matt Ryan as well. I mean, again, from where from where he was the last couple years to where he is now, I I think he's got a real good shot to be. To be comeback player of the year. Uh, any thoughts on that? Um, you know, it's that's a that's a that's a, an award that is a little bit different because there's so many ways to kind of define what is a comeback player of the year. Well, you could say Melvin Gordon is a comeback player of the year candidate. This is absolutely. You know, he's run for 768 yards so far this year, playing much harder. Um, I think running much better in terms of, uh, not necessarily even just seeing the field, just being determined and playing hard. Like, it sounds weird and very simplistic, but that's the truth. Um, he's just running harder through the hole a lot. Um, you could say DeMarco Murray. DeMarco Murray was a disaster in Philly last year. This year, he's been fantastic with the Titans. Um, Andrew Luck, he was hurt most of last year, so he's a little bit more of the traditional comeback player of the year candidate because he's what you think. Dealt with injuries, comes back. He's playing some decent ball this year. I don't think, I've seen some people say he's playing the best ball of his career. I wouldn't agree with that. I would say a couple of years ago was his best, best ball. Um, he's a little bit more in the mold of like Matt Stafford, who Matt Stafford is nowadays. Um, kind of became less. I guess he, I guess he said he's more risk averse. I guess. Um, taking more of the check downs, relying more on his running backs and then the running game, which is good. That's smart football. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's also less dynamic. Um, and I think it's easier to find quarterbacks who can do that on a, a weekly basis. Um, but nonetheless, he's still, I think, a very strong candidate. And then Jimmy Graham. And I think Jimmy Graham would be my, my winner. This is a guy that's dealt with injuries the last couple of years. Yeah, like he has been outright dominant at times this year. He has been the number one receiver for the Seahawks on more than one occasion. And that's who we were accustomed to seeing in New Orleans. Um, obviously, the, the trade for him has been a disaster up until this year. But now, they've got arguably the second best tight end in the NFL. And 
that's no shade on anyone else. But when Jimmy Graham is playing well, Jimmy Graham is dominant. And that's what he's been. And obviously Monday Night Football against uh, the Buffalo Bills, we had a, just a fantastic one-handed touchdown catch in the back of the end zone. So, I mean, that's definitely fresh on our minds, too. But you, know, you can make a great argument for a lot of guys here, but I'm going to go with Jimmy Graham, who's one of my personal favorites in the NFL. Yeah, that, that, that's a good point. You know, that, that's a real good call from, you know, how little he was used and just how out of sync he was. He seemed to be with the offense last year. He's really turned it back on and has really recovered well from that injury. And, of course, I have him in the 480, so how could I forget Jimmy Graham? Uh, and I'm doing well in the, in the 480 as well. Scott Fishbowl sitting at 6-3 and three right now. Um, oh, very nice. So, hoping to hang in there and uh, get to the playoffs. So, we'll see what happens. Yeah, that's all you can really do in fantasy leagues. Is once you get to the playoffs, then some crazy stuff happens. And right. hopefully you drafted a team that's going to have competitive games late in the year and some of that is luck and some of that you know it's hard because you, when you're drafting a team that uh, i always struggled with this was do i take the, the guys who are going to put up great numbers the first couple months but might be on a losing team so maybe they're not going to get the ball as much maybe their production won't be as consistent um you know to the end of the year or do you take guys that you know are going to be playing meaningful games, but they might not have as consistent of outputs throughout the season? So, you know, it's it's really hard, man. Like that's why fantasy football, along with the injuries and stuff, is, is such a hard thing. But um, you know, hopefully your guys are are healthy and going to be in the thick of a playoff race, so that they can actually get uh, you know full playing time opportunities. And here's hoping. Uh, <laughs> It's, it's just a lot of luck, really. It is. Um, so I'm going to let you go ahead and pick an award and who you give it to, and we'll go from there. See if you have anything else you want to come up with. Yeah, so um, I think the other obvious one to, to, to look at, um, we can do this by conference, NFC Offensive Player of the Year. I've kind of mentioned this earlier. I think this is between Dak and, and Ezekiel Elliott. Dak with um, cumulative numbers, 66% completion percentage, 2,000 yards, passing 12 touchdowns, two interceptions, um, an additional uh, rushing 125 rushing yards and four touchdowns. Obviously very good numbers. Um, and then I would throw in a, another Ohio State guy on the NFC side of things. Wide receiver, clearly the top wide receiver from the draft. Michael Thomas, the guy who I really liked, um, I obviously a ton of exposures to him, fantastic route runner. He's arguably maybe the most talented wide receiver Drew Brees has ever played with. And I feel pretty comfortable saying that. And then I loved Marcus Colston, but he was not as physically gifted as Michael Thomas is. He's dominating every week. He really didn't even play that much until week six. I mean, he had seven catches in week three. Uh, for 71 yards, but like he's really taken off here in the last couple of weeks. Um, cumulatively, he's at 47 receptions, 573 yards, five touchdowns. He's caught 75% of the passes thrown to him so far. So this is a guy. He is uh, uh, he has played fantastic football so far. He's been a mismatch both on the outside and in the slot. Um, so I mean, I wouldn't give him the award, but I'll tell you what, he's 
he's certainly deserving of the award. Um, NFC Defensive Rookie of the Year, that's going to be a little bit more difficult. Um, we've seen a lot of the rookies, I think, on the AFC side uh, kind of stand out a little bit more. Um, by the way, the AFC Defensive Rookie of the Year is clearly going to be Joey Bosa. Uh, he has by far been the most dominant player um, in the draft. So, at least defensively, already with four sacks in just a handful of games. Um, but, you know, as far as the NFC, I mean, you can make a strong argument for uh, uh, for guys like, uh, uh, shoot, I was, for some reason I was thinking of, uh, Landon Collins, and clearly that's not him. Vernon Hargraves, I think he's played fairly well um, as a rookie. Um, but I think he had a tough week last week. I know like when I went back and I charted his week 10 performance, or week 9 performance, he ended up uh, allowing 8 receptions on 11 targets. And and look, some of that's going to happen, like especially from cornerbacks. That's going to happen when you face great competition. And he was facing Julio Jones, and that Matt Ryan offense, like we talked about. Um, Leonard Floyd has played fairly well for the Bears. Um, and I, I don't have a full picture here in front of me, so I'm just kind of kind of skimming through guys. Keanu Neal, I think, from, from Atlanta. I think he would have a very good argument as well. I think he's kind of outperformed what people had expected from him as well. So I'm going to give this one to Keanu Neal. Um, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but he's been a big impact in that secondary. Uh, for the for the Falcons and and they've got a, talent, a talented back seven, but they still need to do some work as far as even with the linebackers, um, but definitely along the defensive line they need some work and improvement. But their secondary has been pretty solid, in large part to to Neal and then their great cornerbacks. So um, I'm going to go with Keanu Neal for that one, and then offensive rookie of the year I'll say Zeke. AFC Defensive Player of the Year, uh, Rookie of the Year, I should say, Bioy Bosa, AFC Offensive Rookie of the Year. Um, I would probably lean towards Will Fuller at this point, or Jack Conklin, that, a guy who I was critical of coming out, but I did think he was a better right tackle slash guard prospect than he was at left tackle, and so far he's, he's played very well, especially considering expectations for him were not quite as high. Good call, good calls all around. Uh, yeah, I think Zeke's a pretty safe bet for uh, NFC Offensive Rookie of the Year. Uh, I, I like the Keanu Neal pick for NFC Defensive Rookie. He, he's definitely made his name known early on in that Falcons secondary, so that's a solid pick. Hargraves, like you said, just played well. Um, you know, Sheldon Rankin's had that injury, so hopefully he he's able to bounce back because I'm curious to see what he can do. Um, so, yeah, I, I like those calls for sure on the rookies. Um, I guess one more. I guess we might as well throw out Coach of the Year for the hell of it. Um, you know, it, it, Coach of the Year is always interesting. You know, is it always... Is it maybe the best team or the most improved? You know, kind of like comeback player of the year. There's a couple couple different ways you can look at it. You know, is it a coach that rides his team high? Is it, you know, 
a high wind differential, something like that. You know, like like early on, Mike Zimmer certainly uh, Mike Zimmer was certainly in the running, but of course the uh, the wind has kind of come out of the sails a bit for the Vikings, so kind of knocks Zimmer a bit down. Uh, you're probably going to put Jason Garrett in the running there, just with the Cowboys being at seven and one with a rookie quarterback and uh, and a rookie running back. You know, uh, even some of the rookies. You know, Bob McAdoo has the Giants in the in pretty good position. Uh, Doug Peterson was doing well early on for the Eagles, but he's he, he has he's had some mishaps. So, uh, you know, a couple ways you can go about. It. I'm I'm curious your thoughts on uh, some of the options here. Yeah, it is, and like you said, it's it's hard because usually they'll just give it to the coach with either the most wins or the one who outperformed expectations the most. And that's fair, by the way. I think it is fair to give to like the coach who, who outperformed expectations. I do think Jason Garrett is a really good choice. I think Doug Peterson's a great choice as well. What he's accomplished with a, 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 a talent. It's a good it's a good Philadelphia team, especially their defense. Their offense is just really young. Uh, obviously, you know this. And, and what he's done with Carson Wentz is, has, even though Wentz has really struggled the last couple of weeks, and, you know, we talked about this early in the season, it was going to happen. It's just a matter of when. Defenses make adjustments. Rookies struggle. It, it's, it, it's what's expected. Um, as impressive as, as he was early in the season, as much as he struggled lately, it's still been a very positive, uh, uh very positive run here from, from Peterson. He's still doing, a, I think, a great job overall. Um, so I think he should, he should absolutely deserve some, some, some votes and some looks. Uh, I would also look at, uh, like you said, I think that, uh, really maybe the most underrated candidate that you would have, ex- well, I shouldn't say underrated, maybe the one candidate that maybe you expected that we haven't seen, um, because of their team actually falling short of expectations is actually Bruce Arians. I think at the beginning of the year, we would have all have expected Bruce Arians to be in that discussion, but they've kind of fallen off. Um, on the other side, Pete Carroll. I think Pete Carroll probably deserves some looks at that as well. I think that we all know Seattle's limitations, but they are once again one of the top, if not the top, defense in the NFL. And offensively, when Russell Wilson's been healthy, and he hasn't been healthy for half of the year, um, this is a team that's still been very dangerous, and they've been pulling out some big wins lately. If they can get on a roll here in the second half of the year, you may start to see some buzz growing for uh, for Pete Carroll as well. But here I'm going to lean with, with, with uh, Garrett just because, I mean, he's winning with really a marginal defense overall. It's not a great defense. And if you're going to question this team, especially on the uh, in the playoffs, that's going to be what side of the ball you're looking at. Let's uh, let's change gears a little bit. And go to the uh, college college side. Uh, we'll get to the playoff ranks in a little bit, but I guess we'll show some quick love to awards wise um, in college. Would you say Lamar Jackson right now is your Heisman favorite? 
Yeah, and to me, it's not even a discussion. Like, we're going to have a discussion, because that's what we do. Um, but, I mean, as far as, like, what voters should be discussing right now, I mean, who's even close? Like, how can you even argue against Lamar Jackson? He's been dominant, absolutely dominant. In nine games, he has 170 completions, 288 attempts, which is 59% completion percentage. You'd like to see that be a little bit higher, but this is also a vertical passing game um, that's going to take their chances downfield often, and so that's part of the reason why his um, average is a little bit lower than what you'd probably expect out of college. Um, and he is, he is a little bit inaccurate as well. And don't get me wrong, he does have his issues there. But he's still been dominant throughout the year. 2,753 passing yards, a 10.4 average yards per attempt. And that's absolutely insane. 10, uh, 26 <coughs> passing touchdowns, 6 interceptions, quarterback rating of 165, um, which in college that's a little bit different than the NFL. Um, but here's where you're really starting to get staggering numbers. Rushing. He has the same amount of rushing attempts in nine games as he did in 12 games last year, 163. He has over 200 more rushing yards total this year. He has 1,183 rushing yards. He has a 7.3 yards per carry average. 19 rushing touchdowns this year. Not in his career. This year. This is Michael Vick 2.0. In fact, I think he's probably better than what Michael Vick was as a collegian. Like, that is absolutely bananas for someone of, of his position to have the skill set that he has. And even more fun, if you want to look at um, the leading rushers throughout college football. I'm trying to see here, bringing it up. Yeah, so the leading rushing yards, if it's going to come up for me, apologies for this. Okay, so while I'm bringing that up, I'll just say so the other guys that I would have been in consideration just because for the sake of, uh, uh, of, of the discussion, I would have Demel Pomfrey running back from, uh, San Diego State. He's diminutive. He's 5'9", 180 pounds. But he leads the country in rushing right now. Has 1,581 rushing yards. He's on pace to break his own personal record of 1,867 rushing yards he had two years ago. He's definitely an NFL prospect as well. You definitely have to take him as a serious threat uh, to win the, um, the rushing title in college football. He is a fantastic player. He's small, but it does not matter. I'll tell you that right now. It does not matter. Um, but yeah, so anyway, so Jackson, though, Jackson's in the top five of rushing as well, as I finally got a chance to look at it. So he is just a dynamic playmaker, absolutely legitimate NFL prospect next year at quarterback, arguably quarterback one, and maybe even the best player, uh, best prospect entering next year, just because you can't find a dynamic playmaker at the position like that it's extremely rare um but he's as far as a heisman college player i mean he's almost impossible to stop clearly he's not he's not you know impossible to stop because people have done it <laughs> um but it is very very difficult to stop him 
Um, and then I would also have Patrick Mahomes in the discussion as well, Texas Tech quarterback. It's not his fault that that defense is so bad. It's one of those things where he has to score sometimes 60 to 80 points a game just for his team to win. It's it's absolutely insane. He's done a fantastic job despite uh, far from ideal uh, situation. He is the most physically gifted quarterback in college football. He's arguably the most physically gifted quarterback we've seen in college football since uh, since Matt Stafford as a as a passer, and that's that's some really high praise. Uh, this year he has a 66.8 completion percentage, which is a full 10 points higher than he was two years ago as a freshman. 3,886 yards. Again, that's only through nine games. Uh, Let's see here, 31 touchdowns, 8 interceptions. So it's just bananas. This is a guy, he can also run too. He's 260 rushing yards and um, says 10 rushing touchdowns. That's crazy. Absolutely crazy. Uh, mind you, he's also 6'3", 230 pounds. So he's another great athlete playing a position. Um, can move around. He extends plays extremely well. Uh, quite frankly, I've never seen... A player that size play like that. Um, generally speaking, you would see a guy more like uh, Johnny Manziel size, which is like 5'10", 5'11", 200 pounds playing like that, than you would Patrick Mahomes, which is a legitimate NFL body and a legitimate NFL skill set as well. Um, I think what he's had to deal with at Texas Tech has been very difficult, and uh, I, I certainly would put him in the discussion. And really the guy, and then the guy I left out would be Jabril Peppers. Fantastic player. Fantastic defensive player. Heisman contender? I don't think so. I'm sorry, I, I don't think so. I know that he gets comped to uh, Charles Woodson because of the school affiliation at Michigan, but the reality is that he has not forced any turnovers. And that's just this year. That's in his career. Zero career forced turnovers. I don't understand how that happens. If, and again, this is going to sound very harsh and critical, but if you're a uh, Heisman contender as a defensive player, you need to be on Charles Woodson's level. Level. Charles Woodson has 16 career interceptions. Okay, that's just interceptions. Jabril Preppers has zero. That's an issue, and that's going to come back to haunt him come draft time too. Um, so folks saying that they're going to take him top five, good luck. It's a lot like Miles Jack last year. Miles Jack did not make turnover-worthy plays. We're seeing that already from Jabril Peppers. And so now he is a fantastic force. I am, again, I'm a big fan of him, so I do think he's a, a first-round prospect. But um, I would like to see some improvement from him there. He's been a decent weapon on offense. He's been He's a great kick returner. I actually think being a punt returner is his number one really – big selling point, I guess, for the Heisman. Um, but it's just not enough. It's not enough when Lamar Jackson's playing. And then you're all, I haven't even talked about guys like, uh, like Deshaun, or, yeah, Deshaun Watson. Like, he's another guy that's going to be in the mix. Curtis Samuel from Ohio State, another guy in the mix. So there's a ton of talent this year all around. Um, but to me, it's, it's Lamar Jackson's, and I don't even think that, that he, anyone else should get a first-place vote. Yeah, I'm with you there. Um, you know, he's he's kind of far and away the favorite right now for sure. But I, I like the Mahomes 
mention as well. You know, he he's definitely one of the reasons that, or obviously the reason that that Texas Tech is able to stay afloat. And like you said, definitely a, definitely going to be a solid draft prospect for sure. So looking forward to checking him out. Um, so let's go ahead and talk about the new playoff ranks that came out this week. Um, I just like to shout out number one that Penn State is now in the top ten. Thank you, Nebraska and Florida, for dropping dropping down the ladder and allowing Penn State to move up, giving them a better chance of the New Year's Six game. <laughs> hey, helping out Ohio State too with the quality loss. That's, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and the loss now doesn't look as bad for Ohio State. And speaking of Ohio State, they've moved up to number five after absolutely spanking Nebraska last week. And they're right behind Washington, who moved up to number four after Texas A&M went ahead and ended the controversy themselves by losing to Mississippi State. So the top four are now, as expected, the four undefeated Power Five teams in Alabama, Clemson, Michigan, and Washington. Then you got Ohio State at five, Louisville at six, Wisconsin seven, Texas A&M eight. Auburn 9 and Penn State rounds out the top 10. It's, I think one of the things that stands out, too, is how many two-loss teams there are in the mix and how high some of these teams are. Wisconsin at number 7 is the highest-ranked two-loss team. Now, you know, it's probably going to take a lot of... Uh, a lot of chaos for some of these teams to get in, you know, like like Wisconsin, like an A&M, but, uh, you know, it, it's still something to see. You know, maybe it's just a little bit of parity in college football. But, uh, and then, you know, for the hell of it, the highest three-loss team is Florida State at number 18, and then the uh, group of five race, still a tight battle between Western Michigan at 21, and Boise State at 22. So, your thoughts on this week's top 25? Yeah, there's a lot to unpack here. Um, for one, I'm glad that I'm, I'm shocked. I'm glad that Ohio State is at number five. I think that that's totally fair. I think Wisconsin is is worthy of that number four spot. Um, Ohio State can't really gripe. If if you have a gripe, then you should have won. You should have beat Penn State. Um, they had the chance to, and they could have. Um, since they did not, then you know what? The undefeated teams need to stay ahead of them. I think that's totally fair. And ultimately, what it will come down to is Ohio State versus Michigan. And if every team wins out, the winner of that game will likely, very, very likely, get into um, that college football uh, final four. So obviously, they'd have to win those two conference as well um, probably against Wisconsin that, that'll likely be the matchup not 100% set in stone yet but that does seem like the, the, the favorite right now so with that in consideration um, you know, that, that's what you have to do just win and, win and you're in so it was a little bit surpri- it was very surprising I should say to see Texas A&M lose but they did also lose Trevor Knight very likely for the season um, that's tough going from a senior quarterback, even if it was his first year there, um, to a backup. And, and simply put, they, they just had a stinker. 
they had a letdown game at, uh, facing Mississippi State, and you know that's what happens. That's what happens this time of year. You don't expect it, and then all of a sudden, boom, the picture changes um, in an early afternoon game. So, um, all eyes, I think, at this point are going to be on Washington. Can this team prove that they are a powerhouse team? They've got a couple of tough matchups coming up, specifically against Washington State. Um, I believe that game is actually going to be, I think game day is going there either this week or next week. Um, trying to bring it up. but So that's going to be a huge game for them. Actually, it'll be next week, it looks like. This week they have USC. USC this week, which you know, has become I mean, it's, a tougher game because USC's also ranked. So yeah, USC's playing better. They're not the same team as they were at the beginning of the year. Uh, they are a better team. They're getting more experience. Their young guys are playing better. So that will not be an easy game. But uh, but yeah, ultimately though, you know, those are the guys that I'm looking at. Obviously, but but yeah, you're right though. If a team like Auburn runs the table which would include beating Alabama, and you see one of these other top three or four teams lose, and then all of a sudden you've got maybe a one-loss Washington and a one-loss Ohio State and a one-loss Michigan and a one-loss Clemson and a one-loss Alabama. Could Auburn jump one of those teams into the four? I think it's possible. You know, it's all about being right hot at the right time and, you know, teams like that, if, if you've got the resume, you just need a little bit of luck. And so I think that we're, we're, we're looking at possibly a very, very exciting end to this season, um, depending on the chaos level. And, you know, the chaos level to this point in the year has been pretty high. Yeah, and... Um you know, obviously we're seeing with these rankings, you know, the committee just continues to stress that conference championships are a big factor. You know, we've had the playoffs two years now, and it's obviously been all the, you know, four of the Power Five conference champions have made up the top four. And I think it's pretty safe to say at this point that the Big 12 champion will not be in the playoff. And yeah. the highest-ranked Big 12 team is still Oklahoma at 11. And they've already got two losses, and one of them was to a Houston team that has fallen completely off the map. Sorry, Ian. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it is what it is. And, and the other one's to an Ohio State team that will almost in no way, shape, or form be ranked, be ranked lower than them at any given time. Yep. I mean, unless if they were to lose against Maryland, even if they lose against Michigan State, they'll be higher. But if they lost to Maryland, then maybe they would drop below... Oklahoma, but they probably still shouldn't be. So, you know, barring that, and I think Ohio State's going to destroy them, just based off what we saw with uh, uh, with Nebraska, who's a very good team, um, just obviously get demolished by 59. But, um, you know, I, I think you're right here. I think the Big 12 is in big trouble. Baylor's falling apart. I would guess Baylor's going to lose again this week. And everyone else is up and down and completely inconsistent. I think the only thing that you could take away from the Big 12 is that maybe Charlie Strong has saved his job. Beat Baylor, beat Texas Tech. I mean, I don't know what else that fan base wants from this guy with that young of a roster, but I think he's earned a chance to come back next year, and I hope he does. 
I think it'd be a shame if, if they let him go after only a couple of years. But um, yeah, man, the Big Twelve is a mess right now, and they've they've got I would say very 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 little shot of getting in. I just don't know how they're going to beat um, Auburn out. I would take Auburn over them. I would take a couple of other teams as well. I would take Wisconsin. Um, Wisconsin will probably be handed another loss. I would take even Penn State over them though. So it's you know. If you're looking at two lost teams, I don't know how the argument goes in favor of Oklahoma. Yeah, I mean, that that head-to-head loss to Ohio State is obviously going to loom large. I mean, you look at uh, you look at their schedule right now, I mean, what's their marquee win? At TCU? Right. At Texas Tech? And, and their marquee games are losing to better teams. They had to win one of those Houston, one of that Houston or Ohio State game. Yep. They had to win one of them. So I mean, you only have right now three teams from the Big Twelve in the top twenty-five: in Oklahoma at eleven, Oklahoma State at thirteen, and West Virginia at sixteen. And pretty amazing that West Virginia has the fewest number of losses, and they're the lowest ranked. Um, but you look at their schedule, which I'm bringing up now, I don't think they really have a marquee win either, do they? I mean, their non-conference schedule was, you know, pretty blah. You know, Missouri's okay. It's an SEC school, but Missouri still kind of stinks. Obviously, Youngstown State is nothing. BYU is all right, but, again, it's like, what's your, what's your marquee win? TCU at home at Texas Tech? You know, you... And they have a head-to-head loss at Oklahoma State, so there's, I guess there's your reason they're uh, below them. So, yeah, at, at this point, um, you know, it, it's really going to be hard to look at some of these teams in the Big 12, and like you said, you know, would you take them over even at, at Texas A&M or Wisconsin or or again, or like you said, Auburn, you know, so yeah. I think it's, it's, it's a discussion that is going to, it would be tough if it came down to it, obviously. I mean, it, the name recognition is going to help them, and the fact that they were ranked highly at the beginning of the season, and they're a good team. They're, they're a very good team. They lost to two very good teams as well, but um, I just think it's going to be tough for them. With the momentum that they lost early this season, it's going to be hard. It's gonna be. It's it's hard to argue that they're deserving of another chance to play the types the types of teams that they already lost to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, so it's probably looking at um, you know looking like the Sugar Bowl for the Big Twelve champion. Because um, I haven't gotten the chance. Let's kind of run through live right now as I do this. What the uh, what the bowls might look like right now, uh, based on the current rankings. You know, kind of a mini selection, uh, mock selection here, so to speak. So I'm just kind of punching in the teams right now, and then we're gonna go from there. Something really, I don't have to go too far, I don't think. But, uh, so obviously, you know, right now Alabama would be the top seed against Washington. That would be the Peach Bowl because the Peach, is, Peach Bowl is obviously closer to Alabama than the Fiesta Bowl is. 
and then you'd pick Clemson against Wisconsin, or Clemson against Michigan. Um, and then obviously Western Michigan would be in out of the group of five, and Oklahoma from the Big Twelve. So we'd plop Western Michigan into the Cotton Bowl because that's really the only bowl that uh, Western Michigan will be able to play in among the four non-playoff bowls. And then we'll put Oklahoma in the Sugar Bowl as the Big 12 champion. Rose Bowl then would take the next Big, 12, Big 10 and Pac-12 teams since those champions will be in the playoffs. So, Buckeyes still have a shot at the Rose Bowl. And the next Pac-12 team, I guess, would be Colorado. So that would be an interesting matchup. Ohio State-Colorado. Then the next SEC team... Give it to Texas A&M and the Sugar. So that would send Louisville to the Orange as the replacement for Clemson. Um, and I guess, I guess it would be a matter of do we pair them with Wisconsin or do we pair them with Auburn since they have you know choice between Big Ten and SEC there. Um, mm. I mean at this point it looks like one of the one of them would go to the orange, the other would go to the cotton. So maybe, so maybe they would look at that and you know try to figure out matchups. So uh, yeah, so I mean for the hell of it, let's pair Wisconsin, Louisville against Wisconsin and Western Michigan against Auburn, and those would be the projected ball matchups right now based on the current rankings. Wow, that'd be interesting. I think Western Michigan is pretty, it's pretty legit. Like they actually have several. Legitimate NFL prospects. Corey Davis obviously is the, the headliner, but they have a couple offensive tackles that'll be in the NFL as well. Uh, specifically the right tackle. So that, I mean, obviously Auburn's going to have more athleticism, just simply better recruits, but I think that'd be a heck of a matchup if we were able to see that. So I guess that would mean too that Penn State right now would be the first team out of the New Year's Six. <laughs> so if Penn State could just jump a little bit further, they might actually sneak in there. So, uh... Yeah, people, people will lose. Yeah, if Penn, if Penn State handles business, they, they very well could find themselves maybe playing in the Cotton Bowl. Maybe you'll see Penn State against Western Michigan. I'd like to see that. <laughs> yeah, that'd be fun. Um, but yeah, so... For now, that's what the Bulls would potentially look like. Um... Obviously, this year it's pretty easy because um, three of the four non-playoff bowls are the contract bowls, and the orange, the sugar, and the rose. So five of those spots are easy to figure out. Um, it's, it's just a matter of filling in, filling in the, the the remaining three. So obviously, not much, not much work needs to be done there. So. Um, but still, should be very interesting. You know, we've really only got a couple weeks left in the season, you know, and obviously teams are jockeying for position. So, you know, def definitely looking forward to what'll happen. Obviously, you get some pretty good games this week. Um, you know, and, and Western Michigan's already won, so they're likely going to keep their spot atop the group of five. Right. Uh, just kind of scrolling through. Um, we talked about the Big 12, West Virginia's at Texas, Oklahoma's got Baylor, um, some other 
other games, you know, Auburn at Georgia, Louisville's got Wake Forest, A&M's got Ole Miss, we talked about Wisconsin, um, you know, so, so some, in, some interesting matchups, nothing, nothing like major breakthrough or anything, if you want to look at it that way, but, um, you know, obviously, obviously a lot of these matchups have some, uh, have some potential for sure, so, We'll see what happens. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, this is this is why we love college football. Um, unfortunately, I will be out all day Saturday, so I won't get to watch any of the games. Um, it does look like a decent slate, though. And and you know, again, try to take advantage as much as we can here. We only have a month left of college football um, before we hit the bowl season, and then obviously that's a great time of year as well. But um, only have a month left. NFL, we only have two months left. And then we hit the playoffs. So, you know, if your team sucks, I'm sorry, but enjoy the other games. If your team is in the thick of things, stay positive. Um, your team will probably not be good, and they'll let you down. But if you stay positive, and you know, draw the drawing that negativity, then uh, you may enjoy the games a little bit more. So. Um, just remember, we hate all of your teams, especially your favorite players, um, equally. But, um, but no, and, 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 and you know, we are hoping that you guys can enjoy the rest of the season. Hopefully, we will continue to enjoy the rest of our season as, as both of our teams are kind of um, stuck in mediocrity right now. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, so, we'll see what happens. Um, so, I think with that, I think we'll... We'll wrap it up there. Another solid, solid pod in the books, my friend. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like I said, this is this is the crunch time. You know, this is where we got to be clutch. We got to step up our game because teams are stepping up their games for the playoff push, and so we've got to answer the call as well and as uh, do our part to to help give some analysis to these folks. So if you guys have questions, if you guys have anything, any topics that you want us to cover during the week, make sure you guys uh, send us. That stuff via Twitter, um, Facebook, however you're friends with us. Let us know. Give us feedback. Leave us positive reviews on iTunes. That stuff matters. So thank you again for, for listening. Absolutely. I you know, always appreciate the listens and whatnot. And it's always fun. It's always fun doing this. So, uh, so until next time, again, thank, thanks so much, guys. Really appreciate it. Hope you enjoyed. Enjoy the games this weekend. And we'll catch you next time right here on GG. Take care, everybody.